You're listening to Reach MD, the channel for medical professionals. Hi, this is Dr. Ann Goldberg, president of the National Lipid Association, and I'd like to welcome you to Lipid Luminations, hosted by Dr. Larry Caskell, presented by the National Lipid Association. Joining me today is Dr. Anthony Busti, associate professor at Texas Tech University Health Science Center and clinical practice appointment at the Dallas VA Medical Center, where he has an active clinical research program in the area of HIV-related dyslipidemia and clinical cardiovascular pharmacology. Dr. Busti, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. Well, I don't know how well it's known to general physicians what happens to HIV patients when you treat them with antiretrovirals. Could you shed some light on that? Well, generally, they're on multiple antiretrovirals, and many of those antiretrovirals are known to cause various metabolic abnormalities, and particularly with the lipid profile, that's probably the most problematic thing that people will see. Generally, their cholesterols go up the LDLs increase, and the triglycerides in particular can be fairly high. And so they'll generally develop this metabolic profile that looks similar to a type 2 diabetic or patient with metabolic syndrome. The other thing that can happen a lot of times with these medications is that they can reduce insulin sensitivity and increase the risk for diabetes. And in many cases, it has actually been shown to cause diabetes. And so those are some of the consequences of some sometimes being treated with these agents, especially now in the era of heart therapy, where they're on three or four medications at one time just for their HIV infection. Well, HIV patients now are living a long time, and are they living long enough to get premature coronary artery disease as a result of their treatment and and actually die from that instead of HIV? It appears so, based on the lipid profile that you see that's similar to type 2 diabetics and patients with metabolic syndromes. There's always been a thought that these patients would be at increased risk. Well, we now have some recent data that actually helps to further support that now that these patients are living longer, regular lives and not dying from some of the opportunistic infections that they've historically been dying from. But the increased risk for cardiovascular disease has been recently supported by two studies. One is the DAD study that represents approximately 23,000 patients representing 11 cohorts from Europe, Australia, and including the United States. And the recent publication in New England Journal of Medicine actually revealed that after an adjustment for several risk factors that the relative risk of myocardial infarction per year of exposure to antiretrovirals was 1.16. And most of this adverse effect from the antiretrovirals seem to be correlated mostly with patients on protease inhibitors. This group also took another step to try to control for the lipid profile on patients on protease inhibitor-based heart therapy. And when they did that, they still saw a significant increase risk associated with MIs in, after controlling for that, which suggested that even beyond the lipid profile, there is a potential that the protease inhibitors in particular may be increasing the patient's risk for cardiovascular disease. This was just recently also supported by a large healthcare system-based cohort study from, from Harvard University and Massachusetts General Hospital, and they showed basically similar things. These patients are at higher risk for myocardial infarctions compared to non-HIV patients. And then they further validated rates of hypertension, hyperlipidemia, and diabetes are also higher. So I think, I think we are seeing this now, especially that they are living regular 
normal length fives. What protease inhibitors are worse than others in terms of affecting the lipid panel? Are there are there some that we should stay away from, or do you wait and see what happens on the protease inhibitor, and then if that happens, then switch them? Yeah, I think some of the older generation protease inhibitors that we don't use as much anymore, there are some patients still on them. Those include protease inhibitors like sequinavir and denivir, full-dose ritonavir, we generally don't, or nelfenavir would be another one, we generally don't start patients on those protease inhibitors anymore. If they've been on them and it's been working for them and they haven't had any complications, we may continue them. But we have one in particular newer protease inhibitor known as atazanavir that out of all the protease inhibitor causes the least amount of dyslipidemia. And we actually know that if you switch somebody from one protease inhibitor to an atazanavir-based regimen that you can actually see improvements not only in the lipid profile, but we've actually done studies here in Dallas that have shown improvements in peripheral insulin sensitivity and glucose disposal rates, so improvements in glucose control as well. Who do you think should be managing their lipids in HIV patients? Should they be seeing a lipidologist, cardiologist, or or do you even think the infectious disease doctor can, can handle their lipids? Well, I think it should be a collaboration. I think because of the multiple treatment strategies that are necessary to get these patients to their goals, what I have found and what we have modeled here in Dallas is through a collaboration where I work directly with our Department of Infectious Disease, mainly receive the consults. So I understand the treatment of HIV. They're obviously the HIV specialists, but I'm also a clinical lipid specialist. And because of that, I'm able to sort of help bridge the two together, in particular, trying to avoid major drug interactions, adverse side effects that are very common with these patients. And so I think that a collaborative approach offers the greatest uh, ability to get them the goal, because what you'll find is consistent with the data is that it's harder to treat these patients to the same lipid goals that you would see for non-HIV patients. And then lastly, the one thing that that type of collaboration can do for a very small subset of patients is what is called antiretroviral switching, where we switch from one agent to another for the purpose of not only controlling the HIV and their immune status, but also then treating the lipids, which is the example I gave you with uh, switching patients to atazanavir. If you've just joined us, you're listening to Lipid Luminations on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell, and my guest today is Dr. Anthony Busti from Texas Tech University Health Science Center, and we're talking about the treatment of HIV patients and their specific lipid issues. Dr. Busti, do you think HIV itself should be considered a coronary artery disease equivalent and then take on the treatment guidelines where they should get their LDLs down below 70? That's been a major point of discussion, especially now that we've had a number of these studies showing increased risk of cardiovascular disease. And when you look at the lipid profile being very similar to type 2 diabetics, patients with metabolic syndrome, and then adding on top of that, many of these patients have insulin resistance and endothelial dysfunction, that seems like the plausible next step. There's really no data that right now supports that it's, you know, that suggests that these patients are cardiac risk equivalents, such as if you have type 2 diabetes, then you would automatically be given that level of risk. But there have been studies from the cohort study from the DAD cohort that I mentioned earlier that looked at when you do the risk stratification that generally applying the traditional risk stratification from Framingham would underestimate the risk associated with patients with HIV, 
which is leaning towards that idea that, you know what, these patients are may have more accelerated atherosclerosis, they have endothelial dysfunction. That is a possibility, but we don't have any data that supports that, and the current guidelines don't make that suggestion either. Has anyone looked at carotid IMT in, in this population? They have, and they have shown adverse effects. It's mainly because of the endothelial dysfunction that is occurring and then the increased atherosclerotic plaques. So they have looked at that as a a surrogate marker for that increased risk. Dr. Bustite, do you have any clue what's going on at the pathophysiology level of, of how these retrovirals or the protease inhibitors are actually speeding up the disease process? Well, I would say that, first of all, it's not just associated with protease inhibitors. It's actually been shown to also occur with the other antiretroviral classes, including the non-nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors, in particular afavirins. And then also within the NRTIs, stavudine, which is one of our thymidine analogs, they have also been shown to cause metabolic complications. So it's actually something that we see along all classes, probably most commonly associated with the protease inhibitors. As far as mechanisms for why these drugs are contributing to some of the lipid derangements that we see, there have been a number of different hypotheses. It seems to be multifactorial. There's been studies that have shown reductions in lipoprotein lipase, increases in APOC3, which are known to interfere with lipoprotein lipase activity and its ability to decrease triglyceride clearance from the body. There's increases in lipoprotein little a's, but probably more importantly, further studies and then studies that we just finished here that we've shown that there actually is a shift in the LDL subtype. So the LDL buoyancy is changing, the LDL diameter is changing to a more atherogenic LDL that resembles similar to patients who have that type 2 diabetes or pattern B phenotype that you would see. I'm wondering what kind of drug interactions we should be looking for as a general internist who might be treating an HIV patient who's not at an academic institution and they're on some of these agents. What lipid drugs should we be choosing and which ones should we be kind of shying away from? Well, I would say that, again, similar to a non-HIV patients with the NSEP ATP3 guidelines, you look at the predominant lipid abnormality. If the triglycerides are over four or 500, then that obviously becomes your approach. And, you know, it is safe and effective to use the fibric acid derivatives and also fish oil, whether it be prescription omega-3 fatty acids or over-the-counter omega-3 fatty acids. Those have both been shown effective and safe in the HIV patient reducing triglycerides. If the triglycerides are below that level and you're focusing on LDL as your primary target, there's actually several options. The azetamide has now had several studies in HIV population that have shown to be safe and effective, doesn't affect viral control. There are, doesn't appear to be any drug interactions with the antiretrovirals. And you see similar LDL-lowering efficacy to non-HIV patients, whether they're on statins or not. If you need more potent lowering, obviously statin therapy is useful. We do have to be very careful at the type of statins that we use in these patients. If they're not on a protease inhibitor-based regimen, you have a lot more flexibility. You can pretty much use any of the statins if they're not on a protease inhibitor. If they're on a protease inhibitor-based regimen, then you've reduced your options fairly significantly. In particular, you would want to avoid simvastatin and lovastatin specifically. They would be directly contraindicated in patients on protease inhibitors. You could use 
a torvastatin, but you would have to limit it to lower doses and do closer monitoring. Why is that? Is that because it's using a similar pathway in the liver? Yes, all the protease inhibitors are known to be inhibitors of the cytochrome P450 3A4 enzyme, which is for lovastatin and simvastatin in particular, they are major substrates, so you will see significant elevations. For example, simvastatin, there's been a pharmacokinetic study with simvastatin that has shown that the levels can increase over 3,000% when you use it in co-administration with a PI. We see similar, not near as high of levels, but we see levels as high as 450% increases with higher doses of Lipitor in protease-based regimens because, again, the inhibition of the 3A4. Dr. Anthony Bustai, thank you so much for coming on the show. It was a pleasure being with you. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. And thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Lipid Luminations, presented by the National Lipid Association. For more information, please visit www.lipid.org. ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals.